Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. My name is Jake Fenner. I'm very glad that you can be joining us today. I am joined by our Twittermeister, Tom Adams. Tom, how are you doing today? I am doing very well. Thank you very much. Uh, celebrated my niece's first birthday over the weekend, which was very fun. And that was directly after a nice 4-0 win for Bayern Munich over Cologne. And I was still decked out in my Bayern gear. Um, so I'm in a very good mood. Great weekend. It's been an okay start to the week. How are you doing, Jake? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I had a pretty chill weekend this weekend. Um preparing for uh this upcoming weekend is my 21st birthday so i had to get all of the rest that i possibly could in now before drinking as much oktoberfest as i can legally consume but um (laughs) moving on from that we're gonna go ahead and get into this podcast now today we have featured for you our special after 90 minutes segment where we look back on the thrashing Bayern Munich gave FC Cologne over the weekend then we will go ahead and get into our fans questions in the segment hashtag ask bpw and then we go into our very first before we go segment of the season so tom are you ready to go ahead and light this candle let's do it let's get into it all right let's start off of course with our segment after 90 minutes where like i mentioned we go ahead and look at the previous game Bayern munich played this weekend so 4-0 was the final score to kick off Oktoberfest right. Bayern Munich wanted to try to avoid any potential trap game scenarios, and they did exactly that. Lewandowski scoring right off of the bat in the third minute for the second game in a row. Wonderful buildup from Quarantine Toliso through to Coutinho, who did some more fancy footwork to Kimmich, who slotted it across for Lewandowski and put it right underneath the outstretched arms of Timo Horn. And then again in the 48th minute, Lewandowski scored off of a corner kick from Joshua Kimmich, followed up by the easiest red card decision I have ever seen in my entire life. For those of you who have not seen the foul, Philippe Coutinho took the ball into the box and Cologne defender Kingsley Ehizube, pardon the pronunciation, uh, just didn't have any control over his run or his body and just slammed into Coutinho right from behind, shoved him to the ground. He turned around to the referee and started saying, well, what did I do? And the referee said, you know exactly what you did and you're getting sent off. So he showed him red and pointed right to the spot. And Philippe Coutinho scored his very first goal for Bayern Munich. And then more of the new signings scored. Ivan Perisic contributed his second in Bavarian red in the 73rd minute. And that was how we arrived to a scoreline of 4 nothing. Tom, what did you think of the Bayern performance overall from this last game? Well, just as you said, this is exactly how we wanted to uh, officially kick off Oktoberfest. We all know it went a little bit differently last year, unfortunately. Uh, But this was a comprehensive performance from Bayern Munich. Um, And I was impressed for a number of reasons. Um, And as you mentioned, when Kingsley Ahizabu, I think that's how you pronounce his name, at least according to the the commentary that I was watching, um, I was impressed with Cologne in spurts. You know, I thought um, after that clever little uh, dummy slash half touch, you want to call it, from Coutinho, 
um, you know, that made its way to Kimmich, and then Kimmich played that ball to Lewandowski in the third minute. Uh, we go up 1-0. I did think that Cologne, you know, they didn't let that rattle them too much. I was a little bit shocked that Bayer Lorster uh, came out with a 4-2-3-1. I thought he was either going to go with a really compact midfield and go five across in the midfield, or perhaps even use both uh, Cordoba and uh, Modest up front to try and give Bayern some headaches. Uh, but, in fact, he only went with Cordoba up front. Um, Modest was an unused sub, but I really do think that they did do a good job of still causing Bayern some problems despite going 1-0 down uh, through Lewandowski so early on. Um, in particular, one of the areas I highlighted, uh, I know that us as Bayern fans, we always have um, good good positive discussions, you know, arguments on both sides of the coin. Should Joshua Kimmich continue to be used as a number six or a holding midfielder? Uh, obviously, in this game, we had Neuer in net, uh, Pavard at right back, Sula and Boateng as the center backs, and then Hernandez at left back, and then Kimmich and Quarantan Tolisso just in front of them. Um, a lot of what I notice, you know, as, as Bayern often do, pushing their wing backs up when we are uh, bossing possession, you know, and trying to break down a compact midfield and defense on our opposition, just as Cologne had set up. You know, Kimmich oftentimes does have to stay back and cover that space just in front of Sula and Boateng or whoever the center back pairing is when those wing backs do bomb forward. And I do remember a handful of occasions where uh, Florian Kainz, Dominic Drexler, Schindler were up front, Cordoba, you know, really pressing him when he had to come square to either Sula or Boateng uh, to open himself up for a pass and try and distribute. Um, and I think that's where Cologne did have. Um, a lot of their early success, despite going 1-0 down, I can remember a handful of uh, Cordoba situations where, you know, we can consider ourselves lucky for him kind of being a bit wasteful in front of net. So that's one of those things, you know, I always wonder, uh, the thought crossed my mind, you know, obviously we were missing David Alba through his muscular injury. In this game, like, you know, could Pavard potentially have gone to left back? I know we've predominantly seen him at right back. Uh, when Kimmich is playing as the number six or a holding midfield role. Um, but I personally do think that Hernandez has looked a little bit stronger in the center back position. So why not perhaps in this game, even though we got the job done and it was all smooth sailing, especially after that third goal, you know, could Pavard have played on the left um, and then Hernandez and Sewell in the middle um, and perhaps Kimmich on the right, which would have given more flexibility in the midfield you could have gone with Tolisso and Javi Martinez Tolisso and Thiago I know that he had a lot of minutes under his belt from the midweek uh, Champions League fixture last week but nonetheless you know that's always an option that I'm always curious about because Kimmich as much as he does uh, positively from that holding midfield role there were a number of uh, situations where I can recall he was um, caught making a lazy pass whether it's forward uh, laterally or backwards or just getting caught holding on to the ball too long where Cologne were able to create some uh, create some chances and uh, you know if it's a better team in those situations you know they, they can really make us pay uh, but as you said the Ihizabu red card you know credit to uh, Lewandowski for um, you know being the primary penalty taker and letting Coutinho step up and open up his scoring account. I mean, I think that's really where the game turned on its head, and, you know, Cologne were up against it at that point. You know, as you mentioned, Ihizabu, he clearly pushed Coutinho from behind, was the last man back, and rightful penalty, a good call. VAR confirmed it. Yeah, credit to Lewandowski for, um, you know, being on a hat trick, letting Coutinho step up, take the penalty. The performance is rounded out by a lovely Perisic left-footed goal, slotted into the right-hand corner, and... Um, a very good, very comprehensive, complete performance from Bayern. 
they should be proud of that. Um, Cologne did come out with the shape that I figured they would come out with. Hung tight in the first half, but eventually we broke them down. Uh, the 4-0, positive result for us, and we slipped up a couple spots in the table. Speaking of that table, one of the things that we had mentioned in our last episode was that the one thing that possibly could have been more important than this result were the other results in the top four. Uh, Looking at the other three teams, Leipzig, Freiburg, and Dortmund, Leipzig dominated as usual in a 3-0 win over Werder Bremen, who no longer have Nicholas Fulkrug, who's out for a while with a ligament injury. Uh, Freiburg, Augsburg finished in a boring 1-1 draw, but uh, let's go ahead and talk about the result of this Borussia Dortmund game, because because this was the most complex own goal I have ever seen in my entire life. The recap of that game was Dortmund were up 2-1, a goal from Axel Witzel in the 11th minute, and then a goal from Frankfurt's Andre Silva drew the game even just before the half, and then Jadon Sancho put Dortmund ahead in the 66th. Uh, And then... Thomas Delaney from Borussia Dortmund let in an own goal to give Dortmund a draw out of this one, and it's really unlucky for Thomas Delaney. So what happened was, in the build-up to this, it was a long cross going from right to left from former American Timmy Chandler. It found Martin Hinteregger on the far left side of the box. He tried to shoot it in from left to to right, missed it, but somehow found the foot of Daichi Kamada on the right post, who sent it then back across from right to left to try to get it in goal. Delaney tried to clear the ball from Kamada, but in the process of doing that, buried the ball in the roof of the net. Dortmund draw 2-2, and they fall now to third position. The current standing of the table is Leipzig's first on 13 points, Bayern are second on 11, and then there's a five-way tie on points between Dortmund, Freiburg, Schalke, Borussia Mönchengladbach, and Bayer Leverkusen. So, Tom, do you think that uh, that Dortmund result is going to hurt them in the long run or do you think that they'll be able to pick up the pieces against a Werder Bremen team this weekend who just lost their top scorer? Well I'm glad you asked that. I can answer that in two parts. Kind of flip the order I guess. Do I think they'll be able to collect themselves, uh, dust themselves off, um, right the ship so to speak and get a positive result against Werder Bremen? 100% yes. They have the quality in the side. They have the depth in the side and obviously in this situation you had an experienced midfielder you know, helping out defensively and just making a very unlucky mistake. Uh, but in that same sense, um, a mentality issue. Um, obviously, as Bayern fans, we appreciate this late goal from Frankfurt because it helped us slot up into the second position instead of staying uh, in third. But what I did notice uh, in the replays watching this goal, because I will admit I did not watch this game live, at the time when the play starts to develop, before the ball is played out wide to Timmy Chandler, um, all 11 players uh, for Dortmund are pretty much within 20 yards of one another, and every single one of them is behind the ball. Um, 
and just about five or six of them are standing just on the edge of the 18. So what that says to me is that Dortmund had kind of buckled in and tried to protect the 2-1 lead that they had. And if you can remember back to last season, conceding late goals was, um, in a sense, one of their Achilles' heel. If you recall, late on in the season, they conceded a late goal to Werder Bremen uh, in the title race with us towards the end of the season. Um, you, we, I'm sure we all remember the Hoffenheim match in the uh, the Rukurunda where they were up 3-0. It wound up giving up three late second-half goals to get a, a draw instead of a win at the Westfalenstadion. So when, when you... Take this on surface value, very lucky goal from Frankfurt, obviously a very unlucky mistake from Thomas Delaney, but um, you wonder all the guys who were in the side last year for Dortmund that came so close to uh, going the distance and really gave Bayern a run for their money, taking it down to the last day of the season. You know, they're certainly going to be feeling those feelings that they felt in the Werder Bremen game and the Hoffenheim game where they're conceding those late goals. And this is just something that you have to simply have to avoid, whether you're Bayern, whether you're Leipzig, um, whether you're Dortmund, whether you're Freiburg, if you're still in the top four at the time, battling for a European spot, uh, you just have to play for the full 90-plus minutes um, without any respite and without any lack of concentration. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's just that little bit, bit, little bit of luck, excuse me, that you need to go your way. And obviously, Dortmund didn't have it on this sequence, poor Thomas Delaney. But, you know, as a Bayern fan, we'll take that. We'll take every bit of luck we can get uh, and move forward. And while Dortmund are playing Werder Bremen this weekend, Bayern Munich will be playing Paderborn at home. And you can look forward to our episode of Der Ausblick to drop on Friday, the day before the game. And with that, we're going to take a quick break for now. And when we get back, we will take a look at some of your questions from Twitter. Welcome back, and now it is time for our segment, my favorite segment, I'd have to say. This is my favorite segment that we do every single week. It is Ask BPW, where we go ahead and we answer your questions that you pose to us on Twitter. Now, it took us a while to get all of these questions together. We initially sent a tweet out on the Twitterverse to see if anyone would respond. We got nothing. Then we sent out another one, and we got seven responses. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at some of the best questions right now. Uh, so, Tom, you're our Twittermeister. Go ahead and read them off. All right. So the first question for Ask BPW comes from at Mather 15 and he asks, can Bayern get into the final or the semifinals of the UEFA Champions League based on their current form? I mean, it obviously all comes down to who Bayern Munich draw, uh, but I think right as of right now, yeah, I definitely think Bayern Munich can make the final or the semifinal. I think we, as of right now, as a team, we are probably one of the more... Uh, solid teams in terms of our lineup, and I know the whole question of Muller versus Coutinho is something we're uh, going to have to tackle at some point. But yeah, I mean, even if that Muller-Coutinho thing doesn't get resolved for a while, we have two really good players that are playing that number 10 role. The wingers set Lewandowski has got nine goals in six games. He is on fire right now. Midfield settled down. 
back line is pretty much all set as well. And then we got Manuel, Neuer, the wall in the back. So, yeah, I think based on uh, squad depth and the way that we're all set as of right now, I think Bayern could definitely make the uh, semis at least, if not the final on the ch- of the Champions League. Again, though, it's all based on who we draw. 100%, Jake. As you said, I completely agree with you there. I don't see any reason why Bayern shouldn't and couldn't be able to reach at least the semifinals of the Champions League. I will say that we got off to a fantastic start against Red Star Belgrade uh, at the Allianz Arena, and I think the real first acid test is obviously going to come um, when we go when we travel to North London and we take on Tottenham um, as the other uh, stronger team, quote unquote, in uh, Group B with us. Though they did struggle uh, away at Olympiacos, um, and that is my one concern too. Both Olympiacos and um, Belgrade are very, very difficult places to play as the. Um, away team, uh, very hostile environments uh, for the away team. But I do think, as you said, Bayern have the quality in the squad, the depth in the squad, and hopefully we don't experience um, the same number of injuries that we seem to have experienced the past three or four seasons where we seem to get very unlucky in the Champions League. And God help us, I just hope we don't wind up meeting Real Madrid somewhere in this competition in the knockout stages. And our next question comes from at Indian Bavarian. And they ask, do you think the Bundesliga is the least competitive of the top five leagues in Europe? Um, Other leagues included being the English Premier League, La Liga Santander, obviously the Bundesliga, Serie A, and Ligue 1 in France. It's obviously early in the season to make that determination. Uh, But right now, I'm just going to go ahead and start off and say the answer is no. I don't think they're the least competitive. I think that would probably be somewhere along the lines of Ligue 1, followed by Serie A as the least competitive. Uh, If I were to put in order, I would actually put it in the order that... uh, that Indian Bayern put it in their question. Uh, they said EPL, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and Liga. A. Uh, Liga A has just been dominated over the last couple of years by PSG, save one phenomenal year from Monaco. Uh, Serie A, they currently have Juventus, who is currently about to, this year, if they can make it, set the record for the most consecutive league titles won. Uh, Bayern Munich would tie the would tie that it would meet Juventus's current uh streak and would tie Lyon who currently have the most consecutive league wins in a row uh so for that reason I would put the Bundesliga third uh La Liga of course is up in the air right now now that Barcelona hasn't been doing terribly well but I doubt that somebody not named Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, or Barcelona is going to win that league this year. Uh, and then, of course, the Premier League is probably the most competitive in the entire world. So I wouldn't say Bundesliga is the least competitive at all. Uh, could they have room to improve? Absolutely. If Bayern loses this year, do I think that ranking changes? Absolutely not, unless it's like somebody like Freiburg unless it's somebody like completely different and not like an absolute super team like Leipzig or Dortmund or Bayern. I don't think that 
ranking would change for me. Yeah, 100%. As you said, I think uh, right in the question is kind of the order that a lot of people would put the five leagues in. Uh, Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, uh, and League 1. And for me, looking at this perspective, there's obviously so many biases for me, being a massive Bayern and Liverpool supporter. Uh, I mean, I don't really watch a lot of La Liga. I don't really watch any of Serie A. Every now and then I will watch League 1 and, and PSG, but looking at it, I think you just have to look at all of the five leagues and just the gulfs in class that exist between the top of the table and the bottom of the table. Obviously, League 1 is so heavily dominated by PSG, uh, and it just seems like the climate only changes as far as you know the rest of the top four, whether it's Lille, Olympique Lyon, Olympique Marseille, um, AS Monaco as of three seasons ago, but obviously the tax laws changed in France, and that really affected Monaco's championship winning team in 2016-2017, so you saw uh, their quick demise, and now they're pretty much always battling uh, relegation. Um, but in that same respect, uh, there's no no denying that Premier League, La Liga are, are probably on the top. There's so much that has to do with um, you know marketing and television rights and how well all of the respective leagues are promoted uh, across the world. Um, and I do think the Bundesliga has a lot um, better of an audience than people do actually give it credit for uh, and realize. I know that it is actually one of the, I believe, the most watched league in Asia, um, and it's pretty high up there in the North Americas as well. Um, but again, you know, as at Indian Bavarian had asked, I don't necessarily think it's the least competitive as far as the quality of play and the teams that are um, actually competing in the league. I think it all, again, just has to do with you know, how well they're marketed, how well they're televised, you know, and what people are going to watch. And again, EPL, La Liga, Bundesliga, Serie A, and Ligue 1, uh, kind of exactly in that order. And the next question comes from at Casey Wichstruck, and he asked a really good question that a lot of us are very opinionated on. And he asks, can Thomas Muller and Philippe Coutinho share the pitch? Absolutely. Like, I love Kingsley Coman and all, but... I feel like an injury to him this year is inevitable. I know that we just had a really good article put out by, I believe it was you, Tom, that talked about Kingsley's injury history and how he feels like he's slower. Uh, but I feel that if an injury happens, it will probably be inevitable that it came about. And Philippe Coutinho could easily be able to slip in on the left wing. Uh of course, so can so can Ivan Perisic, but if we're talking about putting a best eleven onto the field, it involves putting Philippe Coutinho at the left wing and putting Thomas Muller at that central attacking midfielder position, because that's where Muller really does his best work. Uh, Coutinho can track to the middle all he wants in that left wing position just as long as he stays out to the left for things like counterattacks and crossing the ball in uh, he's also very gifted on his feet which is one of my favorite aspects about his game but uh, yes to answer it very quick yeah I definitely think Muller and Coutinho can share the pitch do I think that Kovac is thinking of that right now absolutely not but I think eventually over time he's gonna have to find a way to put them both together as he selects Coutinho more and the Bavarian fans hate that decision more and more so Coutinho possesses that ability to play as one of the wide front three players or as one of the middle midfielders in a 4-3-3 so that really gives um, Muller and Kovac, I should say, more options as far as where he wants to play Muller and where he wants to play Coutinho in his midfield and his attack. 
Um, and as you said, it's Nico Kovac's job to pick the best starting 11 for all of our respective games, whether it's a Champions League, Bundesliga match day at Pokal. Um, and as you mentioned as well, you know, the injury history of Kingsley Coman, you know, doesn't do himself any favors. You know, if history repeats itself, he will uh, experience a bit of a layover. And at that point, Kovac will have to figure out if he's going to be using Gnabry, uh, Ivan Perisic, perhaps even Coutinho in one of those wide roles, which opens up another spot for Thomas Muller to come in as the number 10 central attacking midfielder, or perhaps even a deeper lying uh, midfielder as part of a middle three. Um, so while we might not you know, just yet see them on the pitch at the same time uh, together, I think it is inevitable that it's going to start to happen given the versatility of both players um, and given the depth in our squad that we have and given the injury history i mean knock on wood i hope that we don't experience a lot of injuries but it's bound to happen it's football there's a lot of matches to be played a lot of football to be played so yes 100 percent muller and coutinho can share the pitch and i hope it happens as often as possible the next question again from from comes from at jazzy Claggy. again sorry if i'm pronouncing that twitter handle wrong and he asks, should we go all out in the transfer market for a top-class right-back next season to allow Kimmich to play in the midfield, in parentheses, his preferred position? And he also adds, this constant change cannot be good for his development. I would agree that the constant change wouldn't be good for his development, though I would counter with, I don't know how much more development Joshua Kimmich already needs. He's one of the best right-backs in the world. He's already the heir apparent to Philipp Lahm's. Uh, long and successful reign at Bayern Munich. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, we don't need to go all in on a right back because uh, I, am, I am of the opinion that we have too many midfielders in the center of the field on this team, right? If we're having a long and strenuous debate about whether or not the pitch can fit both Thomas Muller and Philippe Coutinho. We shouldn't also be considering Joshua Kimmich to play in the center of the field either. So my basic, my my assumption is the reason why Kimmich wants to play in the midfield is that he can be able to move up the pitch a little bit more. And the system that he already plays in at Bayern Munich, he already pushes forward far up the field, and he's already our corner kick specialist. He finished last season with 13 assists and two goals. 15 points for a right back is pretty good in my eyes. I don't know how many more that he wants, but also keep in mind, Kimmich, yes, is pacey, but he's also a little bit undersized, so I don't know how he would fare as a number six compared to, say, Javi Martinez, who is strong, isn't as pacey, but can easily like back down a midfielder or an attacker if he needed to. So not only do I think that Joshua Kimmich is a great right back, I think that's where he actually belongs. I don't think that we should be going out and getting other right backs and I mean, I know that he probably wants to play in midfield a little bit more, but I think if anybody looks at Kimmich over the last couple of seasons and wants to try to buy him from Bayern Munich, they're not going to try to buy him for his abilities in the center of the field. They're going to try to buy him as a right back. Absolutely. Joshua Kimmich is a right back, and at that, he is one of the best right backs in Europe. 
and additionally one of the best right backs in the world. I do know his preferred position is that number six role. As Jake, as you mentioned, he does seem to have this tendency to want to get forward uh, centrally and kind of, um, you know, modify play from his perspective coming out of the back. I think at times when he is playing in the back, he might get frustrated with the players that are playing in front of him, not making the right movements, not making the right passes. But again, Bayern has such a plethora of midfielders, and not only that, central midfielders, even if we do have some injury problems. So the fact that we're um, now debating whether or not Kimmich should play as a number six to me is a little bit befuddling. I think just his natural best position is right back. And as you mentioned, the 13 assists from last year, I think that's one of the key things that you can highlight and take away from his effectiveness. Um, Granted, he did play a few games last season as a number six, but predominantly was used as a right back uh, for Niko Kovac. And that's the way it should be. I just think that's where he's the most productive uh, on both sides of the ball. Obviously, he possesses amazing ability to get forward, provide tons of assists, and join in on the attack. Um, But his defensive instincts are also there as well. Um, Nothing against Benjamin Pavar. Um, I think he's a great right back as well. Um, But at that number six role, I think Kimmich should only be considered a utility, you know, if nothing else is available, because I just think he's far better uh, from the right back position. So to answer the question holistically, no, I don't think we should be going for a world-class right back, especially since we have uh, Benjamin Pavar uh, and Yashua Kimmich, both in the squad already. Um, but yeah, the constant changing, I just think we need to stick with him at right back. And if that means Pavard gets relegated to the bench for a little while, you know, he'll put his head down, he'll work hard to get his spot back in the starting lineup, but th- then that's what it's going to mean. Or maybe he slots in at left back if Alaba's hurt, maybe Pavard plays a little bit at center back. You know, Kovac has to make those tough decisions, but yeah, absolutely, uh, Kimmich should be playing at right back. We don't need to be going in um, in the transfer market, whether it's in the winter or the summer for another right back. And our very last question comes from at the barrel blog. No idea what that is. And he or whoever that is asks, why is Chuck by far the coolest of all of the Bavarian Football Works podcasters asking for a friend? You know, we only take serious questions here at Ask BPW. Uh, We don't want this to turn into the platform for anybody to try their stand-up comedy on us. Uh, I don't know who could possibly think that Chuck is the coolest out of every BFW podcaster. Uh, the last cool thing to come out of Philadelphia was Will Smith, and uh, <laughs> I can tell you for a fact Chuck is definitely not that. So I would definitely correct that uh, thought that you have there, Mr. Uh, at the Barrel Blog, whatever you are. Yeah, I mean... It must just be something about Philadelphia. You know, I know their cream cheese is pretty good. Uh, Their cheese steaks. It seems like a lot of stuff to do with cheese. Uh, But, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's just down to Chuck's, like, strikingly good looks or something like that. You know, there's a saying that you have a face for radio. Maybe that's that's just me. I don't know. Um, I don't know how my voice translates (laughs) in attractiveness, but... I hope it's not that terrible to listen to, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just those, uh, that Philadelphian accent that just wins people over. That's got that. That's what it has to be. That's the only thing I can think of. Tom, we all have faces for radio. Let's be perfectly honest. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, again, please be sure to, 
send us your questions using that hashtag AskBPW, and we will be right back with one last segment before we go. Welcome back. And we have one last thing to talk about before we go, and it concerns player lists and best 11s. Yesterday, in addition to FIFA's awards for best male and female football players on the planet, they released the list of the FIFA Pro World 11, a list of players chosen by the players as the best in the world. The selection process works when 45,000 ballots are sent to professional football associations, which are then distributed to professional footballers in their respective countries. In addition to players around the world, journalists and head coaches also get to make decisions on players, which leads to some questionable decisions, in part because every single member association across the world gets the same number of ballots as everybody else. So while Germany gets X number of ballots, places like Sierra Leone and San Marino also get an equal number. This year's team, like always, is a defined 4-3-3 with the following players from this year's list. Alisson of Liverpool in goal with a back four of Matthias Delight, Virgil van Dijk, Marcelo and Sergio Ramos. In midfield, we have a trio of Eden Hazard, Frankie de Jong, and Luka Modric, followed out by a front three of Cristiano Ronaldo, Kylian Mbappe, and Lionel Messi. At the surface, there are some players that I'm going to exclude from criticism, those being Alisson, Virgil van Dijk, Delight, de Jong, Hazard, and Messi, because they all had very good seasons. And also for the sake of this, I will be excluding Luka Modric, who was one of the very few bright points in a lackluster Real Madrid team this season. But if there are two things that we absolutely have to get into... It would be the back line and the front three. So let's go ahead and start with that defense, featuring specifically the two points that I need to contend with, Marcelo and Sergio Ramos of Real Madrid. So let's start off with the captain. Sergio Ramos made 33 appearances all season last year, bagging six goals and one assist with eight yellow cards and one red card. In league play, he had an average rating of 6.91, which is the lowest of his entire career. He averaged 1.5 tackles, 1.3 interceptions, and 3 clearances per game. In the Champions League, over 5 games, he managed 2 tackles and 2.6 interceptions, as well as 2.6 clearances, which isn't bad, but consider that this is the least amount of games he's ever played in his time at Real. The case for Marcelo is even worse. He made 25 total appearances last year across all competitions, thanks to injuries, picking up three goals and three assists. And his 6.81 La Liga rating is the worst for any competition he has ever taken a part in, including World Cups, since the 2009-10 season. His 6.98 UCL rating comes in at a very close second. His league stats are even worse than Ramos with 1.5 tackles, 0.7 interceptions, and 0.6 clearances in his La Liga games. In Europe, he averaged 1 tackle, 0.5 interceptions, and 0.8 clearances. His 4 games in Europe 
were his lowest since the 2012-13 season when he was injured. This aggravates me considering players like Joshua Kimmich, Andrew Robertson, and Trent Alexander-Arnold were nominated and in most cases all had far better statistics than Ramos and Marcelo despite more appearances in European and league play potentially lowering their stats in comparison. I understand that Marcelo and Ramos are well-known names around the world, but you cannot say that this has been one of their best years, and considering this year has been one of the best for defenders around the world, especially young defenders such as Kimmich, Robertson, Arnold, and Delight, you can't really make the argument that Ramos and Marcelo are better than any of the others, both statistically and you know, logically, seeing as Robertson and Alexander-Arnold made and won the Champions League final. Now comes the harder case that I have to make. The front three of Messi, Mbappe, and Ronaldo. It would be downright impossible for me to say that Messi doesn't belong on this list, so I'm not even going to try. But let's compare the seasons that Mbappe and Ronaldo had. CR7 finished with 27 goals and 10 assists across 39 games in all competitions in his first season with Juve, which is not a bad start at all. However, considering he broke the 35-goal mark every season since 2009 and 10, I'd probably be accurate in saying this wasn't one of his best years, and seeing as he's about to turn 35 in the middle of this upcoming season, I don't know how much longer he can continue with this pace of high-level play. And it may come as a shock, but Mbappe probably has a better case to stay in this list than Ronaldo. He bagged 33 goals and 7 assists in 24 league 1 games, and got 4 goals and 5 assists in PSG's 8-game short-lived Champions League run. With a total of 37 and 12 across all competitions, and considering he missed a lot of the season due to injury, these are great numbers for a 20-year-old. But let's compare both of them to two other nominees. Like Ronaldo, Mohamed Salah also finished with 27 goals and 10 assists, but did all of that en route, leading Liverpool to their first European title since that fated night in Istanbul. He too dropped in output compared to last season, but considering silverware, he finished a lot better than Ronaldo, who just had to settle for the Serie A title. Which brings me to the greatest number 9 in the world right now. Robert Lewandowski grabbed 30 goals and 7 assists over the course of last season, averaging a goal per game in the Champions League. He already has one-third of his total from last season over Bayern's first six games this season. So for me, would I change that front three? Well, yes, I'd probably swap out Ronaldo for Robert Lewandowski. Am I shocked that Ronaldo beat him to this? Absolutely not. Ronaldo is one of the most visible athletes across the entire planet, and I imagine that any list not including him would be subject to controversy. But that's not the biggest reason that I'm incredibly upset with this list. This list promotes authenticity because it's selected by the players, but it almost seems like a fraud because it builds up so much hype as the players list and the players that players really want on their teams. But then it's voted by other journalists and head coaches from around the world, and in some cases they can pretty much only rely on name recognition. So when you compare statistics from all of these other players, I think that it's obvious that in some cases, not all, 
But in some cases, that replacements need to be made. And that these players that got snubbed for some of these spots in future time will be better than the ones that are currently on there now. And obviously that makes sense due to aging. But when I say future time, I'm more likely to mean this season than three years down the line. And so that was before we go. But before I toss it over to Tom, it's important for me to uh, clarify. There were only uh, two players that were nominated from Bayern Munich. That was Kimmich and that was Lewandowski. No David Alaba. No Manuel Neuer, no Tiago, no Thomas Muller, nobody like that. And instead, we got Karim Benzema. So, Tom, you look at this team, you have a bunch of players from a Real Madrid squad who did not make it past the round of 16 last year. Granted, we didn't either. But they also severely underperformed, not winning any silverware at all last year. And so far this year, they've been off to a decent start, but nothing to really write home about and try to think of those times that they won three Champions League titles in a row. So uh, you're a Liverpool fan. You had a couple of your players hop on in there. But what did you think overall of this list? Yep, absolutely. I enjoyed um, our historic Champions League run, um, and I was very happy to see Big Verge on there, um, Virgil van Dijk, that is, and obviously Allison Becker. But, you know, as you mentioned, the um, the voting authenticity for this, as much as it is authentic, I think just too much of it is um, a bit of a popularity contest. I don't necessarily want to use the term popularity contest, but I couldn't really think of anything off the top of my head as far as categorizing what this is as you mentioned the amount of Real Madrid players that are on this list um, and adding on to that too you know they kind of list it country um, and then the club that the player played for in that previous calendar year um, and if I recall correctly a guy like Marcelo you know he doesn't even start for Brazil I don't think he started for them in the Copa America any of their um, World Cup qualifiers um, you know so the fact that four Real Madrid players on there that are on there does allude to that fact that this is just um, not as objective uh, as it should be. And to kind of go off that point, you know, for me looking at it, and especially being an avid watcher of the Premier League in addition to the Bundesliga, why are there no Manchester City players on this list? I mean, I think right now, especially with Pep's Manchester City, you can see a massive, massive difference. Um, without a guy like Vincent Company in the team, and especially Imeric Laporte, who is currently out with injury, that back line of Otamendi and John Stones, you know, it's just such a drop in class um, from when Laporte is in that side. And I think that um, he was one of those players who quietly kind of made uh, Manchester City's season so successful in a route to their uh, domestic treble. Again, you didn't think that they could top their 2017-2018 uh, incredible record uh, of 100 points. And while they didn't technically do that in points total in the Premier League, um, there's nothing that should be taken away from their domestic treble. Um, and it pains me to say that because I do absolutely hate Manchester City, but um, I, I have to take a step back and realize just how impressive um, they were over the course of last season. And, you know, credit to Pep. He didn't really have too much of a fuss over that very, very controversial 
um, offside call that um, inevitably wed- led to them crashing out of the Champions League uh, at the hand of Tottenham Hotspur. And you know, everything he does with that club is just simply amazing. Yeah, and a guy like Laporte, man, I, I just absolutely think he should be in that um, that back four um, for the uh, at least taking their, the place of either Ramos or uh, Marcelo uh, in the fifth pro world 11 perhaps even maybe to a guy like uh Koulibaly from Napoli who I thought has just been such a consistent performer not over not only last season but the season before uh and thus far this season obviously as a Liverpool fan I thought he played very very well in the uh opening match of the group stage in Naples where Napoli beat uh Liverpool 2-0 thanks to a slightly controversial uh penalty call uh from Callahan uh off of a little tiny little dink from uh, Andy Robertson. I think he won the ball first, to be honest with you, but that kind of segues too. I mean, why perhaps Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold are not on this list either is is kind of uh, befuddling. You know, I think Liverpool's 4-0 win uh, over Barcelona in the second leg of the semifinals of the Champions League was the biggest deficit comeback in the history of the competition. Um, And guys like Trent and Robertson, I think... Uh, produced the most assists in the Champions League and the fact that they were overlooked for two guys on a team in Real Madrid that severely underperformed last season is just is just beyond me and again points to the fact that this is a bit too much of a, a popularity contest and I do get it um, you want to show respect um, you know to your counterparts and to the the people that you're playing against and from a journalist perspective the names um, that are so recognizable the large personalities in clubs where as you said earlier, that the other players in the sides look to uh, for inspiration and look to for that leadership. Um, but again, you know, it, it, for me, I, I don't want to delve too much into it because at the end of the day, um, I'd rather look at the stats as, that you had just spouted off, you know, focus on uh, on Bayern, you know, getting the job done both domestically and in Europe. And, you know, I'll take silverware over, uh, you know, these quote-unquote Mickey Mouse uh, awards any day. I couldn't agree more there, Tom. So I think with that, we're going to wrap up this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. As I mentioned before, please be sure to stay tuned for our next episode of Dare Ausblick, where we will cover the upcoming game this weekend against Paderborn. So again, for all of your latest updates regarding the podcast be sure to follow us on twitter at bavarian fb works you can find me on twitter at jefferson fenner tom where can they find you they can find me at tommy adams 71 once in a blue moon when i pop in on there but as i've said before i'm usually always one of the main guys behind at bavarian football Works. so always uh take a note to realize that it's me doing most of those tweets during the live tweets during the week whatever it is um and yeah that's where you can find me. And you can find all of the latest and greatest Bayern Munich and German soccer content online at BavarianFootballWorks.com. So from all of us here at the Podcast Division, thank you very much for listening. Please be sure to like, share, comment, subscribe, and download our podcast from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your quality audio content. So until next time when we cover the upcoming match this weekend against Powderborn, uh, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you later. Auf Wiedersehen.